0: So welcome into the week 10 of Backroads Podcast. So much to cover on today's podcast. We've got football, uh, tons of football. So many great games went on this past week. We're going to be talking about cross country, band, you name it. We've got uh, 1A covered right here on the Backroads Podcast. I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network, trespassports.com And I'm Bobby Brown, Texas 1A fan. So Bobby, what a crazy week it was. So many exciting games, so many games that... Had a huge impact on what is uh, going to be a week 11 when we start looking at the playoffs coming up in two weeks. It's hard to believe that. And uh, you and I, as always, texting back and forth going, check out this game, check out that game. And yet, with all the football going on, you got cross country going on. You got state band coming up. It's just a busy time right now in Class A.
1: It definitely is. And uh, don't forget volleyball. Volleyball playoffs are tomorrow and Tuesday, starting with
0: by district. So we'll be talking about that as well. So much to talk about. But uh, as always, we want to start out with a coach. And nobody to better to bring in than someone who fired a shot across the state uh, two weeks ago. Right? Two weeks ago, yeah, I guess it would be now. And that would be the head coach for the Westbrook Wildcats, Coach Homer Matlock. Coach, welcome in. Well, thanks for having me. So let me ask you, you guys, see if I remember right here. First time you had beaten Sterling City, was it 1930 or 1940? I believe it was 40. 1940. Well, you and I, neither one were born, not nowhere close. So just how big of a win was that in the town of Westbrook?
2: You know, it it, it was big. Um, We hadn't beat those guys in a while. We didn't play football for a long time. They were at 11, man, and coming down to six, man. But still, we hadn't beat them as long as I'd been there coaching. So it, it was a good win for us.
0: So when you look at the Wildcats, you know, and I want to get into your schedule here in just a little bit because you have played a gauntlet of a schedule this year. But let's just talk about your team in general. Tell us a, a little bit about the Westbrook Wildcats for anybody who doesn't know a whole lot about them.
2: Oh, you know, we're, we, we had a really good team last year, played a really tough schedule last year, lost some really good seniors. And so I'm playing some younger guys this year. And, and when we get into the schedule and talking about that, uh, we had to overcome a lot of nerves and learning curve. And we're getting closer to where we want to be. We're not there yet. Uh, we'll run a little bit of spread. We'll, we'll do some tight. And, uh, you know, our defense is, is one of the things that we pride ourselves on as well.
0: So who do you consider a leader there on that defense?
2: On our defense, you know, I got – I got a kid, Jimmy Roberts. He's number twenty. He plays an end for me. He was all state last year. He he anchors one side of our defense. He, he's a really good player. I have a junior on the team that is just this year. People are starting to talk about a little more and more. And and he's uh, Peyton Dominguez. Uh, he does a lot of good stuff for us. You know, um, I've had a couple of coaches after the games be like, "Man, he's the best kid you got." And and you know, he he's starting to get that recognition. And then I have a cornerback, uh, Cedric Ware, who, who does a really good job for us as well.
0: You know, when you hear about the Westbrook Wildcats, I know one thing that uh, Bobby and I hear a lot about is just how tough the Wildcats are. Is that something you try to instill in them, or is that something that just kind of permeates there in the town of Westbrook?
2: Uh, maybe a little bit of combination of both. You know, uh, we thought to make our program get to where we wanted it to get to, we had to buy into the weight program. And the kids have done that. Um, we, we lift weights quite a bit. We lift all year long. And, you know, I think that leads into being a little bit more um, of a tough mindset. You're not going to get pushed around. We're going to take pride in that. And, you know, the kids have to bring that. It's I, I can't coach that. They have to have it inside already.
0: And then when we talked about that schedule, at least at the time you played them, six of the nine opponents that you've had this year have been ranked inside the top 10 uh, all the way beginning with the start of the year with number one ranked Motley County out of division two. So the question is, were you a glutton for punishment? Or are you just trying to make your team better?
2: You know, in the, in the past, Westbrook has played uh, some teams that they they think they would get the wins over and, and things like that. And then we'd get into district and we'd have a garden city and a water Valley or a Sterling city or Borden County. And we just weren't ready for the speed. Um, we had compete against other teams and then we'd get into district, we wouldn't have a chance. And it's just been my philosophy whatever we can do preseason to get ready for district and make playoffs, that's what we're going to do. So that's what, that's what I've been trying.
0: Look at that schedule. You guys have played Motley County, Borden County, Water Valley, Strawn, Garden City, and Sterling City. I'm not sure there's a bigger royalty of teams than that schedule that you put together there. And as you look forward to the playoffs there at Westbrook, What do you need your team to do to be successful, to come out of what is an extremely tough region too? Uh,
2: For us, the keys to victory are going to be stay healthy and cut back on turnovers. Um, We've we've lost some games early, and those two things were huge in all those losses. We lost kids and we lost the ball. So if we can quit doing that, we might can make some noise. Who knows?
1: So I understand that the last time Westbrook – won an outright district championship, was in 1995, your senior year. So this year, you get the district championship, and it looks like you're going to end up playing Ira from District 7. How do you go about preparing
2: for them? You know, Ira's one of those programs that they do it right year in and year out. Uh, Coach Goodwin always gets ready to go. Um, you know that's one of those deals we're gonna have to get get on film and watch, and and um, we better be ready on defense because they're they're gonna attack us and, and test us. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do our do our homework, and try to be ready for that.
0: So, Coach, you talked about uh, you know, and Bobby just mentioned that the last time that you guys won a district title was your senior year. You graduated ninety six from Westbrook. Was it always your plan to come back to Westbrook and coach your hometown team?
2: No. Not really. Uh, you know, uh, God has a, a way of working things out. Westbrook was having trouble keeping coaches and my wife was a teacher and she had been a teacher for about 10 years. And she ended up back at Westbrook. So therefore, my kids were at Westbrook. And, you know, it's, it's hard to watch us just change coach year in, year out. And the principal called me up and asked if I would take the job. We prayed about it, really, really didn't think maybe I'd be very good at it or anything like that, but we just kept praying about it and that's where God led. So there I am.
0: Well, I I think you took this not very good at it to an extreme level because the Wildcats are playing some unreal football right now.
2: Well, thank you. And it's, I got good kids, you know, I got good support and coaches. And so uh, it's definitely team all the way around.
0: All right, coach. Well, good luck to your Westbrook Wildcats. Uh, an unreal team you got to go in there look for you guys to make lots of noise in region two and uh, maybe beyond that so good luck to you wildcats and we do appreciate you joining us here on a sunday afternoon
2: yes sir thank you guys for having me appreciate it
0: and we hope to see you
1: deep into the playoffs and that's not far from now just a couple
0: weeks
2: that'd be nice we, we would love to be there
0: well bobby it was great to have coach matlock on with this His westbrook wildcats playing really well and Picking up a huge victory over Sterling City on the road in a game where they were up by a lot. Let Sterling City get back in it, take the lead, and then rally to win.
1: Yeah, that was an amazing game. One, uh, One of the best I've listened to. Actually, and I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. I can't imagine the people in the stadium. <laughs> and remember we we talked about you know what what it was they called the heart attack kids or something. I, I remembered what it was. It's cardiac kids. There you go. See, I'd forgotten about that, but I, I feel like that describes what happened in that stadium <laughs>
0: that night. I, I think you are correct there. huge win there for Westbrook over Sterling City. So let's get to it. Week 10. Let's uh, check out uh, the uh, top 10 in both Division one and Division 2 We'll start in Division one, and we'll begin with the number three-ranked team, the Abbott Panthers, all over Aquila, 52 to nothing. Robert Munoz doing what he does, 153 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Riley Sestala, 4-4, 69 and a touchdown. Uh, he also carried the ball four times for 13 yards and two touchdowns, and I was really hoping this kid wouldn't show up in the stats. Bobby, <laughs> going to mess it up. Keaton push <laughs> keaton pustajofsky
1: i think I'm so i'm sure that. you know if someone from madbet wants to call us up and tell us how to pronounce that we would absolutely love that because i'm sure he might just appear in these stats again we'd like to say his name correctly
0: exactly <laughs> i kept seeing it he was just kind of on the outset outside of some of the stats i'd look at but not this time. Two receptions, 66 yards, in a touchdown there for Keaton. I can say that first name. Uh, they held the uh, Cougars to 35 total yards. Hagan Williams, uh, 10 carries for 40 yards for Aquila. Uh, we talked about number four, Westbrook, all over Robert Lee Friday night. Uh, Coach Matlock uh, taking out the steers, 45 to nothing. Number five, Jonesboro, the Eagles, continuing to march right down the road. They take out Lamita, 62 to 14th, 12th straight, district title there for coach guy eagles and the Jonesboro eagles for a team that used to not be very good it is amazing how well he has had them playing now for a dozen years caleb crystal there six of seven 235 through the air and four touchdowns uh, he also carried the ball uh, six times for 24 yards and a touchdown nate Hillicker, four receptions 162 yards and two touchdowns that's almost 40 yards a, <laughs> a reception also, had two interceptions in that ballgame and Demarcus Akoff, two receptions, 82 yards, two touchdowns. That's called making it count right there by uh, Demarcus Akoff. So, now looking at number seven ranking, no problem with Midland TLCA. Didn't expect them to. Uh, they win that ballgame 72 to nothing, which takes us to the next big game on our docket Spring Lake Earth and Nazareth. Spring Lake Earth ranked number eight in the state. And let me tell you something. Tyler Goodwin is doing something right in Nazareth, a town often known for a bunch of basketball kids who happen to be playing football. They lose that ballgame 54-50. to 50. Nazareth was up in that ballgame for a really long time. Uh, they got stopped on a 4th and 17, trying to run out the clock with about 2.37 left to go in the game, an interception by Spring Lake Earth at the three-yard line. Wolverines take over, and uh, three plays later, they hit a big 68-yard touchdown pass. Uh, and then hold Nazareth inside uh, Wolverine territory inside the 30 to run out the clock and win that ball game 54 to 50. A big touchdown slash fumble was huge in that ball game in the fourth quarter. Uh, probably depends on which side of the stands you were sitting on. A spring like Earth, guarantee you. Keyshawn Holmes was in the end zone. If you're on the Nazareth side, oh, he dropped the ball. He didn't even get close to the end zone. So <laughs> nobody. For sure, but uh, that was a big turning point in that game. And man, I just, I'd talk about it. Springland, girth is a really good team, but Nazareth with Coach Goodwin there, it's amazing what he has done with that Swift ball club.
1: Yeah, you know, we've talked about how we never know which team is going to show up from Nazareth, but that hasn't been the case the last three or four weeks. You know, maybe that was the way it was at the beginning, but I think that they've turned the corner, they turned the switch you know, flip the switch, whatever you want to say, but, um, they're, they're running on all cylinders right now.
0: They are, uh, number nine, a garden city, all over Grady, 59 to eight. That is a dangerous team. The Bearcats are coached by coach, Jeff Jones, Sebastian Balcazar, four carries 114 yards, two touchdowns, Logan Seidenberger, 132 yards through the air and threes touchdowns. And then John Lopez, 55 yards receiving and a touchdown. That takes us to the next big matchup. A huge one out of District 7. Ira and Hermley. Coach Winners, Coach Goodwin doing battle. And the Cardinals of Hermley come out on top 66 to 48. Bubba Digby doing what Bubba Digby does. 22 carries, 251 yards and five touchdowns, 22 of 29 through the air. That is tough to do. 329 yards and five more touchdowns. Stetson Digby, his uh, favorite target. Well, Digby's got to throw to a Digby. 120 Man. yards receiving and two touchdowns. Also had 11 tackles. And Zane Knocklinger, five receptions, 116 yards and two touchdowns. For the Bulldogs, Cody McCowan, 26 carries, 155 yards and three touchdowns. Ike Weaver chipped in as well with 67 yards and two touchdowns. Bobby, this is a game I know you made the second half of. And what a game between Ira and Hermley. And the Cardinals continue to impress week after week after week.
1: Oh, they do. And let me tell you, when I drove up to that stadium, I had a hard time finding a place to park. You know, the parking lot around the entire stadium is, uh, you know, pretty substantial. Man, I got in there. There were people everywhere. The stands, both stands were packed. There were people standing all around. I know there had to be at least a thousand people there. And the atmosphere was incredible. It was so loud and people were cheering and it, it was just. It was just one of those awesome atmospheres that you just love to be in, especially in six-man football. It really was like, um, like a really late playoff game. That's how it felt. Um, but you could tell both teams just went at it. And I'm so glad that I got to see the ending of that game. I guess I got there about six minutes left in the third quarter. You know, I'd been at a different game. So it was nice to get to a second game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and Coach Winters picks up uh, his first district championship as a head coach, and he gets his first playoff berth. Uh, so, uh, congratulations to Coach Sammy Winners. There's uh, that's a that's a big victory there for his Cardinals. It really is. Congratulations, Coach Winters. So now, Bobby, let's move down to Division Two, and we'll start with Coach Mike Bigum picking up his 150th career win over the Southland Eagles, 64 to nothing. Shout out to Coach Big on uh, doing some great work there with the Matadors, ranked number one in Division Two. Now taking a look at the number four Jayton Jaybirds, all over Patton Springs, fifty-two to nothing. Number five Anton found themselves in a dogfight. Amherst, the Bulldogs, are a better team than I think people realize. Anton wins that game, seventy-six to thirty-eight. Uh, Amherst is given both Ant- and and Whitt- Harold some trouble, and uh, you know that may be one of the better number three teams in any district in Division Two this year.
1: I agree. I watched them play earlier this season and they were pretty tough. Pretty tough.
0: Uh, number six Bal Murray picks up the forfeit win over Dell City. I know Dell City had problems with numbers. I'll let you go into that one a little bit more there.
1: Yeah. Last week they came up here to the panhandle to play the Lubbock Titans. They had six players, I believe, and one was injured, so that left them with five, and I think he was injured enough that he may have spent a night or two in the hospital, so our prayers and thoughts go out to that player from Dell City, and it looks like Balmory is going to pick up that district championship. I guess that doesn't surprise you, does it?
0: (laughs) It it does not surprise me, and uh, whether he'll admit it or not, I'm sure it doesn't surprise Coach Jones either. Probably not. number seven fallette all over miami i think this just tells you how good fallette is they defeat miami a team that had been playing pretty well 64 to nothing just unbelievable coach Copley has the panthers playing really really well uh number nine groom tigers all over silverton 60 to 14 and then number 10 the gordon longhorns and then we'll talk about them here shortly all over gustine 62 to nothing so I'd say look at uh, the top ten in both Division One and Division Two. Let's get to some other games, and I have to start with this one because there is a note in this one that just is amazing to me. Let's look at Division One, Region One, District Three: Spur and Knox City doing battle. One hundred four to fifty-six, Spur wins this one. And when and and I tell you, we got to talk about this one, Bob, because when I looked at the total yardage for both teams. Spur was over 300. Knox City was over 600, and yet they just about got doubled up, and I'm like, how in the world did that occur? I found my answer. Lejean Walker, nine carries, 184 yards, and six touchdowns. He had an interception in this game. He had eight and a half tackles. Here's the stat that stood out to me. Not one, not two, three count them three kickoff returns for a touchdown. That's got to be, you know, maybe we can, that's something we can get Lehman to tweet about when is the last time anybody had three kickoff returns for a touchdown in the same game, much less from the same player. Unbelievable there from LeSean Walker. Yeah. Uh, Corey Hamilton yes. uh, also uh, seven carries 154 yards and three touchdowns, 11 tackles, Johnny Molina, nine tackles, three and a half of those for tackles for losses. And talked about the scoring. Ryan Davis, Nick Ortiz, they also had pick sixes in this game for Spurs. So that is how Knox City was able to get so many yards and still fall so short a Spur in this one. Bryson Callaway put up some numbers, 278 through the air and four touchdowns, 159 yards on the ground and two scores. Tristan Baxter, 114 yards on the ground and two touchdowns, and he also had 123 yards receiving. So he goes over the 100 mark, uh, both rushing and receiving. Cameron Hernandez, two receptions, 73 yards and a touchdown, and Kobe Roberts, two receiving touchdowns. So many stats in this ball game, but three kickoff returns for a touchdown. I don't know if I've ever heard that.
1: Yeah, I think after the first or second one, I would have stopped kicking it in his direction.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's just me, but. <laughs> so a Spur uh, will win district three there. And uh, I think both the Bulldogs and the Greyhounds are going to be tough outs as uh, we start looking towards the playoffs. Uh, Up in District 1, happy all over McLean, 66-14. T.S. Bowe, he started out as a tight end. Then he was a fullback, back to tight end. Uh, Now he's at the spread back, 181 yards on the ground, five touchdowns. Jimmy Reyes, 141 yards on the ground and two scores. And Carson Carter there for the Tigers, 6-7 through the air, 86 yards and a touchdown. Out of District Four, a big game. Borden County and O'Donnell, and Borden County squeezes past the Screaming Eagles. Not a Minnesota State. You got to go back to a coach reference to get that one. Uh, that was the O'Donnell Screaming Eagles, thirty-five to twenty-seven. And you know, Trey Ritchie is one of those guys who, yeah, okay, I'll say it. The guy can flat out coach, Bobby. He just, oh, had yeah, his fourteenth straight district title.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I, that's not no surprise to me. No surprise at
0: all. Red Kingston led the way there for Borden County. 16 carries, 140 yards and a touchdown. Also, 4-7 passing for 68 yards and a score. For the uh, Screaming Eagles, Juan Renteria, 27 carries, 165 yards and two touchdowns. Also, 8-18 through the air for 114 yards and two scores. And Tyson Bundy, uh, 93 receiving yards in that ballgame for O'Donnell. So Borden County now will take District 4 as the district champions. Fort Davis and Van Horn, they were in quite a battle, and the Van Horn Eagles come out on top, 83-69. to They pick up their first district title since 1993. What a stat there for Van Horn.
1: Yes, that's incredible. Um, Shout out to Coach Tyrell. Uh, I know they're very excited about
0: that. And and when you talk about uh, Van Horn winning that game, a lot of that had to do with Jermaine Corrales, 15 of 18 through the air, 245 and five touchdowns. He also carried the ball for 111 yards and two more touchdowns. He had an interception. He had 14 tackles in this ball game. Uh, he loaded the bus uh, uh, getting ready to go to the stadium. He uh, cleaned the stands afterwards. You name it, Jermaine Corrales did it there for the Eagles. Uh, Bryce Verdell helped him out 134 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Elijah Gaines, 110 receiving yards, three touchdowns, also had two touchdowns rushing, and Cy Garcia, 19 tackles and an interception there for Van Horn, so congratulations to the Eagles, their first district title since 1993. Rotan, all over Aspermont, 53-8, to Zach Flores, 185 yards passing and three touchdowns, Jordan Daniel, Jackson Warren, both uh, pickup scores, Warden had two of those. And Caden Krebs back, hope I said that right, 90 receiving yards and a touchdown. Highland on top of Bront, 60-14 to 14 court sergeant, 150 yards through the air and three touchdowns. Quay Lloyd, four, uh, four carries, 69 yards and three touchdowns, also had nine and a half tackles, and four and a half of those went for tackles for a loss. So a great game there on the defensive side for Quay Lloyd. Another big game that went on, and uh, there's just no stopping Logan Bronner. St. Joe's all over Newcastle, 55 to 6. Bronner, 15 carries, 296 yards, and six touchdowns. Do not get in that man's way. It's going to be tough to stop him. Matthew Butler Everson, also 68 yards through the air and two touchdowns for the Bobcats. Cash Strawbridge led the way, 116 yards on the ground and a score. Out of District 11 in Region 3, Blum all over Milford, 76 to 30. Lane Good had a good day, 205 yards rushing, six touchdowns, 10 and a half tackles as well. Uh, his uh, partner there, Brandon Wilkins, 127 yards passing and two touchdowns. Coleman Moore, 56 yards receiving and two touchdowns and had one rushing touchdown. They had 91 yards, so that can't be right because it's not a 100-yard field. So I'm going to guess that that is 71 yards rushing. Uh, and for Milford, Corey Serrata, 12 carries, 153 yards, also 115 yards passing and two touchdowns, and he had 76 receiving yards and a touchdown. Quite a night there for Corey Serrata. Braden Woodward as well, 70 receiving yards and a touchdown. So There's kind of a look at uh, some of what went on in Week 10 uh, around the area and around the state so many things going on coach Bigham gets victory 150 sammy winters picks up his first district championship trey Ritchie, eddie gallegos proving they're some of the best coaches in the league and uh, just just a great week uh week for six-man football you know and this is this normally happens in
1: this week but you know here we come up on week 11 and can you imagine i mean it it has gone by very quickly, or is it just me?
0: no, it it it, ex- it has gone extremely quick. You and I started this I don't know when did we start? It? Week two, week three, somewhere? No, it was week one. Was it week one? Okay, it so was.
1: Week... We, we started right at the beginning, so right. I it...
0: yeah, well, time is flying, Bobby.
1: <laughs> it is. next thing you know <laughs> we'll be doing track.
0: Oh my goodness, easy now. We, we haven't quite negotiated that one yet.
1: <laughs> oh, that's true.
0: <laughs> well, you, you talked about it let's look at some week 11 games and as many big games as there are that have impacts on the playoffs either deciding seeds one and two who's in who's out none bigger than a meeting of two top 10 teams that we all know about the 72nd meeting between Strawn and gordon
1: that is correct they have met 72 times or they're going to this week. Uh Strawn will play at Gordon Friday evening. I'm sure there will be at least a thousand people at that game. That game always uh, draws a very large crowd.
0: You know, those two teams that just love each other.
1: They do, you know, they're just seven miles, seven or eight <laughs> miles apart. <laughs> but the first meeting between Strawn and Gordon was in 1923. Wow. Yes, that was a long time ago. Strawn won that first meeting 52 to 13. And fast forward to present time 2021. And the series record is 32, 37, and 3. Uh, Strawn is edging the longhorns in that record series. I'm sure um, they don't
0: I'm sure they don't tell them about that either, do they?
1: No, I'm sure they don't discuss it at all, you know. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that there is some discussion about that down at Mary's. You know, if you haven't eaten at Mary's and Strawn, you need to. They have wonderful food. Uh, they're most famous for their chicken fried steak. And believe me, I've had it and it is outstanding. But if you want to read more about the Strawn and Gordon rivalry, there is a link to the article describing the rivalry Brought to you by LoneStarFootball.com. And we have put a link out on the Backroads podcast website. So you can go
0: read that for yourself. It's extremely interesting. That's one of the many huge games that we got going on here in week 11. And we'll kind of run down some of the others. Will Dorado at Groom. That will decide one and two in that district. O'Donnell at Meadow. Winner is in. Loser is out. Those are always good games. What about this one? garden city at Rankin.
1: yes yeah
0: hang on there
1: another another nice little rivalry there between those two schools and we'll be covering that game Uh,
0: it'll be very interesting to see what happens that'll be a fabulous game Uh, other games avalon at blum fruitvale at leverage chapel uh how about this one jayton at motley county can Motley County finally, outside of playing somebody like Westbrook, get tested? That will be the challenge for the Jaybirds.
1: It will. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the outcome of that game, they'll be playing at Motley County, and that's always um, a hard place to go into and play. And I understand that they got some new lights, so everyone will be able to see the game very well.
0: Hey, new, new lights. are uh, LED lighting is the greatest thing to ever happen to high school football these days.
1: You know, as a photographer, I can tell you that, yes, we, we gauge fields depending on what kind of light you have. And let me tell you, some are my favorite fields and others, I just, uh, you just can't take pictures. They're so dark, but, you
0: know, we, right. still,
1: we still try, so.
0: <laughs> they, they are dark and yellow. That, that seems uh-huh. to be there. Other big games, Coolidge at Aquila, Lorraine at Blackwell, Walnut Springs at Morgan, Oakwood at Calvert. Buckholes at Mount Calm. That's just a few of the big games going on. I think we counted up 16 games having playoff implications in one form or another going on in week 11. So get out to a football field near you. Don't want to miss some really great games going on. And there are some big time ones in, in some of these stadiums.
1: Look at our scoreboard uh, at 18fan.com. We've got scoreboards out there. It tells you who's playing who and who we're broadcasting. This week we're broadcasting. Hopefully, we're still waiting on permission. Uh, Strawn at Gordon and also Garden City at
0: Rankin. Wow. Those will be some great ball games there. Well, Bobby, we, let's stay here because last week we brought up a name Harold Chapman from Kroll had a yeah. ball game, and you said something about hamburger. And yeah. you're going to go out and get us that story. And that's exactly what you did. And it's a fabulous one. And I'm going to let you tell that. I believe you got this story from Michelle Chapman, who I'm going to assume is Harold's mom there in Kroll.
1: That is correct. And so I kind of got the story mixed up, but like, you know, it was a few years ago, but I did look it up. And so I want to read you what uh, Michelle, their mom, had to say. She said, when the boys were very young, they had a coach that taught them everything he knew. He challenged them comforted them, drove them past limits, and he was there for them. One day, Freddie was having a hard time in practice, and his coach ran beside him, pushing him, telling him, come on, Freddie, give me this one lap, and I'll take you to Vernon and buy you a cheeseburger. After practice, he did just that, and Freddie won the nickname Cheeseburger. Throughout the rest of his years, people have chanted for cheeseburger, and it stuck. That coach was also their friend, hero, and father, and he passed away about four years ago. But he left two amazing young men: Harold the Great and Freddie the Cheeseburger.
0: That is an awesome, awesome story.
1: It really is, and I and I love watching. You know, uh, like last year, uh, Freddie was the one they were calling Cheeseburger, but um, Harold also plays. So if you ever see Harold, it's Harold the Great and Freddie the Cheeseburger.
0: <laughs> that is just fantastic. So, a shout out to Michelle Chapman for sharing that story with us, and uh, that's what we're here about—is to get those, uh, was it, feel-good stories out there. And that is definitely one of those. Uh, another one that uh, you know you and I talked about—I think this was last week—big old huge bonfires versus just simply burning the letters. <laughs> and I'm all about the big, huge bonfires. Now, the fire departments may not. And you heard from somebody up in Follett who kind of gave us their idea of, of between burning a big old bonfire and burning a letter.
1: They did. I, we asked people to write in, and we, we got a wonderful Panther fan to write in. And she said, in Lipscomb County, as summer comes to a close, we look forward to one thing, football. As homecoming approaches, we collectively pray for rain. Even the farmers harvesting corn are secretly praying. For as many years as I can remember, we have waited for the county commissioners to tell us if we are or are not in a burn ban so we can plan our homecoming festivities. At Follette, we don't have a little stack of boards or limbs stacked for a bonfire. Oh no! The bonfire for homecoming is the limb pile for the entire area. (laughs) Some years, the bonfire would be absolutely massive. The fire department spends several hours before and after the fire is lit to make sure it is as safe as possible and the fire stays contained. When we are in a burn ban around here, it is serious. Ban means ban. Some years we have had to put on glow parties, but for the past few, we have burned the F in the parking lot as a sort of middle ground. I am sure there are a plethora of reasons for the switchover, but at least by burning the F, we still get our fire.
0: That is a great story there, and I I just have to laugh. Everybody, not not just going out a few days before and trying to build this up, they get everybody's limbs in there.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's like a two or three or four a week thing. You know, tell us where your limbs are. We'll go get them and we'll pile them up and burn them for
0: you. Well, that's a great story there from our Panther fan up in fall. And let me ask you something real quick. When I was in high school, we spent the night up guarding our bonfire so that the opposing team would not come and light it prematurely on fire uh, for us the night before. It, it, am I the only one that did that or... Or is that something you guys did in Jayton as well?
1: Well, you know, ours were, it was right next to the football field and it's surrounded by a huge fence and there are houses just right there. Doesn't sound real safe really for an enormous bonfire, but (laughs) the area was quite large. Um, So no one was going to sneak in there without someone seeing them because, you know, in a small town, if something is out of place or moving around that shouldn't be, someone's going to see it. So I I don't remember guarding the pile. (laughs) I do remember we did have a large pile, though.
0: (laughs) Well, ours sat right there on 287 in Memphis. So, you know, it was pretty easy to get to right next to the football field there. And I don't know that anybody would have seen them. And I I, want to say I could be dreaming this up that at one point in time, what started the whole guarding, it was another town, an opposing town came over and did start the bonfire uh, a day early. And so uh, that's kind of what started that. I don't know if they still do it there or not, but uh, back in the day, that's exactly what we did. <laughs>
1: hey, so, it's, uh, it's awesome to to think of stuff back in the day because usually those traditions carry forward.
0: Yes, they they do. So next, let's talk about something that really swept across uh, the Class A and really all Class A all the way up to Class 6A, but uh, we're, we're all about uh, 1A right here. And that is, and I like how you put this, the brouhaha about Snapshot Day. So on Friday, schools have from last Friday up through I think the end of this week uh, to get their enrollment number. in. most of them do it on a Friday. There's a couple of different different formulas for it. There's always rumors out there. This school is doing this. This school is doing that. Um, And we had plenty of that this time. But it's really big because that determines who's going to be in Class A. Do they want to stay there and play six man football for some of them? Do they want to opt up and play 11 man football or some of those that were in 11 man now in class a, do they want to venture into six man land? And boy, I've got to tell you, Bobby, two years ago, you know, there was some movement, but I I don't remember just a whole lot of going on. It, It seemed fairly tame two years ago. I don't think that's the case this year because there was so many rumors out there, so many things going on. Um, you know, there, there's a spreadsheet you and I have seen. We're still lacking 41 schools in it, but we could see some serious shakeups in both Division One and Division Two this year.
1: We could. Um, you know, some of those rumors that were swirling, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, you know everyone was saying oh water valley is going to be over the cutoff they're going to go to 2a no folks water valley is not over the 2a cutoff or 1a cutoff limit i know you're all very excited about that because you know wow water valley's tough little team there Um, there are some rumors about sterling city um lots of different rumors about
0: i think it was more wishful thinking you know (laughs) what i mean i understand that one yeah. And we, when we talk about these numbers, just so people understand, if, you, if you're not real aware of this, so you can have up to a certain amount of kids before you become 2A. For 1A, that's all, or the last several years has been 104.9. As long as you don't have more than that number of kids, you stay in six-man football. And then they split Division one and Division two. Last year, it was 59 and a half is where the, or two years ago, that's where the line was drawn. And uh, so that determines who's Division One, who's Division Two. And you know, you look at it, a team like Booker, and everybody goes, "Who?" Well, let's put it this way: they're further north than Fallet, if I remember right, or right there with them, real close. Uh, they're they're both right there on that uh, Texas Oklahoma border, up in the far northeast Texas Panhandle. That's a team that has always opted to play eleven man football, despite being in One A for several years. Rumor has it, Bobby. They're interested in playing six-man. Nothing has been determined, but, you know, that is a a face that we could get coming in uh, that we haven't seen before. A team like Monday continues to opt up. That's what they've said again. They're still under the number, but they're going to continue to opt up and play uh, 11-man football. Those are the kind of things that happen, and uh, they can really, you know, those are the kind of things that can really impact as the UIO goes through and says, Is 59 and a half the number we're going to split at this year? Is 104.9 the number to stick at? I know Lehman feels very uh, confident that 104.9 is going to remain that cutoff line. Um, And and based on the numbers I look at, I think he's probably right. Yeah. Um, Don't tell him I said that, but uh, (laughs) oh, that's right. We're on the podcast here. He can hear that. But no, I think he's right. I think it is going to be 104.9. I think to me, the big question is going to be, where do they do that cutoff between Division One and Division Two?
1: That is the question, and it is every year. One thing I don't know that our fans know about is that when all of this comes out, I actually go through, and if you look on the website under football, I write out who goes up, who goes down in 1A, 1A 2A, all of that. And then also who goes from division one to division two, who goes from division two to division one, who plays football uh, for six man and also who are those 1A schools that are opting to be an 11 man so I have that all there, um, as soon as that is released. Then I get to work on that. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. You know, I'm a nerd, so I enjoy stuff like that. Um, one team that I need to, we need to talk about is Menard. You know, they've, they've opted up to 11 men. Well, guess what? They're coming down to six men.
0: That could have an impact.
1: It could. So uh, I think that Snack Shop Day is extremely interesting because uh, this is anecdotal. I don't have any proof of this, but all these people with nerd minds like us make their own predictions of what they think the UIL, UIL will do, and then they draw up boundaries to see, ooh, let's let's guess who's going to get closest to what the UL picks as far
0: as district boundaries and regions and, and things of that nature. It'll be interesting. It will be. And truth be told, I don't know that anybody knows what the UIL is going to do. And as much as we get mad at the UIL and how they draw some of this up, sit down with a map sometime and try to draw up the div- districts in Division One and Division Two. It is difficult.
1: It really is. And, um, you know, I've done this for long enough that I see where mostly it doesn't happen too much in football. But like in basketball, that district with Jayton, Paducah, Motley County, they go from region one to region two every two years um, for spring sports. Um, I know that they put something that never really made sense to me was putting Borden County, Garden City, Klondike, Grady, you know, all those people. Well, not stirring the stadium. they would, they would stay down in region two, but they put them in region one Yeah, up here in the panhandle. I mean, that's,
0: that's quite a ways to drive. Here's the thing. And, in- Before we get off this subject, just so people understand what the UIL has to go through, look at District 3 in Region 1. This is a district that's got Knox City, Spur, Kroll, Paducah, and Vernon Northside. If the cut is at 60 and lower, Paducah, Kroll. If the cut is at 60 and below, Bobby, Paducah, Kroll, Vernon Northside all drop down. So what do you do then with Knox city and spur and how do you work them in? And, you know, we saw this four years ago, the UIL really worked left to right across the state two years ago, it was more of a left to right, top to bottom, uh, made a little more, a little more sense at times. You know, I, I don't know what they do because I, I sit down and tried to draw it up. I could see Knox city and spur dropping into region two. And at the same time, I could see them keeping them in Region 1, and all of a sudden everybody's playing Valley from there. It's tough because you just don't know what they're going to do. And, I mean, honestly, I could see Region 1 stretching all the way from Booker down to Borden County one more time with Knox City and Spur ending up in Region 2. We will see. It's all conjecture. We find out more in December when the UI actually truly puts out those cutoff lines. Then we know for sure who's going to be Division 1, who's going to be Division 2, And then we will wait for the big day in February when we have UIL realignment.
1: That is right. So we have a ways to speculate. And so that I guess that's going to be our favorite thing from now until February. I I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) I know it's the favorite. It's the favorite subject of most coaches.
0: It is, and, and and prognosticators like myself.
1: Of course, you know those big old nerds that think we we know more than the UIL.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, let's look around the rest of Class A. So much going on, and let's start with bands. Let's surprise yeah. everybody, and let's start with bands. You've got the state marching contest going on Tuesday, November second. That's this Tuesday. The prelims from eight to twelve, and the finals from two to six. There in San Antonio. And bands going to the state tournament, uh, trying to buy for a title, Irion County, Monday, Booker, Whiteface, Knox City, O'Donnell, Menard, DeHannis, Claude, Cross Plains, Spring Lake Earth, Bartlett, Nueces Canyon, Throckmorton, Happy, Crosbyton, and Baird.
1: And I got to back you up because it's DeHannis. I know.
0: Crazy, huh? It is. I've never said it right then.
1: No. Yeah. Well, I know several people from there and I always have to get them to tell me, you know, I say, how do you say
0: it? And they're de henness, like a hen. Gotcha. So now we know. And they may have the shortest drive of anybody because they're just outside of San Antonio.
1: They are. And then you look over there and you got Booker. <laughs>
0: I mean, it <laughs> started down to San Antonio a week ago.
1: <laughs> I know. Wow. That's a drive. That's kind of like when Tex line went to the state tournament. In San Antonio, you know, that's a, that's a haul. Texas is a big state. Shout out to all those bands going to state marching contests. They only um, have state for 1A every other year. So this is exciting. And if you'll keep your eye on um, the Facebook page, and also we've got this under our activities page on the website, then you'll see that we'll definitely give you those bands pushing through to the finals on
0: Tuesday. That'll be awesome. We talked about volleyball playoffs kicking up. Uh, The brackets are up on the volleyball webpage on uh, 1afan.com. First round happens this week, and I'll be honest with you, you know, there's not many 1A schools up in the Texas Panhandle to play volleyball, so I'm not real up-to-date on it. Who are a couple of the favorites to uh, potentially find themselves in the uh uh, round or the final four therefore the volleyball championships well
1: you know normally on a normal year uh, it's usually the same folks uh for example let's see let me move over to the area tab now the thing about volleyball is three teams make it to the playoffs Um, The runner up and the third place team in each each district play each other in the bi-district round and the area round, they play the winners of districts. So uh, keep in mind that if your volleyball team won during district, then they really won't play the playoff game until the area round, which is slated Thursday through Saturday of this coming week. Most of the time uh, who the, the names that I see, are really like Netches, Blum, um, Dehennis, hey, Dod- Dodd City, uh, Hubbard, even Abbott goes pretty um, far into the playoffs. Let's see. Water Valley, um, Klondike. Strong has shown a, a strong showing uh, in district. They won district six. And then, you know, up in the panhandle, we've got Miami, they won district one benjamin girls the volleyball girls won their district district five um, some of these towns you really think of being in region two but in volleyballs they play with two a's in a district because
0: not every school has a volleyball team so it's really spread out and that would be very similar to baseball. Baseball is the same exact way where a lot of those 1A schools are playing district action with 2A teams. It's just kind of confusing because you look up and they might be three and four in district action and they won the district title and you're like, huh? Yes. All four losses were to the other 2A schools.
1: Well, not only that, you know, baseball and softball and not everyone who plays baseball plays softball. and Not everyone who plays softball plays baseball. So you really have to go at it. Figuring out who's doing what by individual sport, which makes it very interesting. And again, nerd mind loves that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> Lots of challenges there. So, volleyball playoffs kicking off. Uh, coming up this coming Friday, November 5th, in Round Rock, we got the state cross country meet. Girls start running at 8 30, boys running at 9. And we're going to save the best for last. Let's start on the boys' side first where and you you wrote it here three definite front runners lance verner davis from miller grove isaiah billingsley from McMullen county and brandon passman the young man from guthrie headed to alabama all three running in the 16 minute range well that that is going to be fun to watch
1: it really is Uh, i think that you know i think brandon passman from guthrie um i mean all three of those kids Their names are very familiar to us uh, for those who uh, follow cross country. That's going to be an interesting race in Round Rock on Friday. Now, let's get to the girls. Uh, You and I have talked about Tatum Goodman from Spring Lake Earth. Talk about a whale of a runner. I, I mean, there's really no adjectives to describe her because she's just absolutely awesome at it. You know, last year she broke the state record running at 1118. Well, she blew that time away at the Region 1 regional cross-country meet this past week by 23 seconds.
0: She is unbelievable. Here, here's the thing about Tatum, and, and I get it. Sometimes just going out and watching cross-country can be really boring for some people. And I understand that. I get that. Watching her run is must watch sports. It is unreal because when you look up before a mile is over with she's so far ahead of the competition it's not even funny
1: yeah i I yeah, and it happens without you really noticing
0: it yeah she you know the the region one meet is ran at may Simmons park there in in <laughs> Lubbock, and that's not an easy course there are a lot of hills on that course
1: oh, let me tell you. I ran at that course all four years in high school. You know, back then it was like if you wanted to play basketball, you had to run cross country.
0: <laughs> I think that so, might be the case.
1: <laughs> well, it might be, but my six foot frame is not really built for cross country. But I tried. You know, I had that competitive thing, kind of like you do. Uh, but. The first rattle out of the box at May sediments is going up that enormous hill. Now, you all might be thinking, there are no hills in Lubbock. Oh, this is the one hill in Lubbock that you do not want to run up. <laughs> and that's the first thing
0: you do. It is. And, and, you know, it was funny because you streak on the one side of the lake all the way to where you get to the hill. Maybe, I don't know, that might be 200 meters, 150 meters. Maybe. And by the time by the time she gets there she's already in first because you're looking for you're looking for she's already there
1: yeah you don't have to look for her she's just there and she's a she's a tiny little thing but my gosh she's fast
0: i'm not sure that she's more than five foot but she is unbelievable and by the time she came down the backstretch to run that final 100 150 meters she's going full bore oh yeah there is no stopping she the the speed she starts out at is the speed she finishes at which is incredible think about this folks 10:55 was her time that means that she ran each mile on average less than five and a half minutes try doing that over one mile try doing it over two miles and try doing it running up hills yeah, no,
1: no, that's, yeah, I'm so impressed with that. But, you know, Tatum is not the only one who who's running. She does have someone who, you know, he'll be looking to, to catch her in Round Rock. That's Bailey Neal from Sulphur Bluff, who ran a 1206. That is nothing to sneeze at right
0: there. Yeah, that's a good time right there.
1: Yeah, and there's lots of teams going. Uh, we have all of that information up on the website. It's actually a really cool meet to attend. Are you going to go to Round Rock this year, Craig?
0: I'm going to have to miss this year.
1: Yeah, so am I, unfortunately. You know, right now is a busy time. We got volleyball playoffs. uh, Last week of football going into playoffs. We got band. We got band and cross-country state. And all kinds of stuff going on. And it's just a great time to be in 1A.
0: It definitely is. Well, Bobby, before we get out of here, let's finish up with Lehman's Six Man 101 and something you're titling Where Dreams Go to Die.
1: Oh, this was so interesting. This is again from another book that I that we have found. And it's from Where Dreams Go to Die by Carlton Stowers. Uh, It was published in 2005 by DeCapo Press. And this is where Mr. Stowers followed the Penelope Wolverines around after they restarted their football program. Uh, They were trying to win just their second game in four years. And he shares a story from a Penelope community member named Mr. Baker. He says, and this is an excerpt from that book. He recalls the lengthy recovery from the surgery that kept him out of the classroom for most of the semester. One afternoon, I woke up from a nap and went into the kitchen. There on the table was an envelope with $200 in it. A note that accompanied it read, for the flowers we didn't send and the food we didn't bring by. It was from a family whose home I'd only been in once in my life. The benefactor's quiet entry into his home had been easy. Baker, like most, feels no need to lock his doors. When a Penelope husband and wife simultaneously fell victim to cancer, the local Catholic church held a fundraiser during which $10,000 was raised in a single day. When last spring, the mother of a student was killed in an automobile accident. Her son was immediately taken into the home of another family so he might remain in Penelope to complete the last school year. Such examples of adult charity have not gone overlooked by the young people of the community. The last thing I want to do is paint a Camelot-like picture, Beggar warns. But the kids here genuinely care about each other. I see it every day in the classroom and in the halls, a pat on the back, a high five, a hug. Whether you're on the football team or the volleyball team, whether you're getting ready to show an animal at the county fair or enter the poetry reading competition at the district UIL meet, you're going to have the support of everybody in school. One person's success is everyone's success. It's part of a family-like atmosphere That is as remarkable as it
0: is difficult to explain. That is the epitome of six-man class A sports and communities.
1: It really is. And so I did a little further research and, you know, Texas Monthly wrote an excerpt about this book and stated this type of culture is dying, but I do not agree with that. This actually is the culture that is alive and well in our six-man
0: communities. And we see it all the time with so much of what goes on and, and, you know, nothing reflects that better than just a couple of weeks ago, the tragedy that occurred up in white deer. Look at, look at how teams rallied around that and and schools rallied around that. It just, that tells you exactly what happens in these small communities where everybody's willing to take care of everybody, even if you're the biggest of rivals.
1: I I totally agree. And maybe we should invite Texas monthly to come and, and spend a, a season going to six-man football communities to see uh, what it's really like, and that the culture is really not dying. You know, we're keeping it alive and well, and and I'm really passionate about that because I see it all the time, just like you said.
0: No, no, no doubt there. Well, Bobby, that's going to wrap up the Week Ten Backroads podcast. For so much we talked about. And can't wait for week 11 as we wrap up the regular season in high school football. We get ready for playoffs. We will know the champions out of state cross country. We'll know the champions out of band, as well as volleyball playoffs will be in full swing. Such a busy time of the year, and I can't wait till we get there. But until then, I'm Craig Spree with the Happy Sports Network and PressBestSports.com.
1: And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Remember, go forward and do good.